the scriptures up like that was done back in the 12th and 15th century was that it sometimes separates by chapter speech that is actually connected. In the 13th chapter of John, Jesus tells Peter, you know him, shy, reclusive, uh, you know, not very outspoken guy, tells him he's going to deny him. And then immediately after that, well, let me say first, who of us has not in some way, somehow denied the Lord in our life when we should have spoken up and been bold and didn't? Uh, I'm guilty. If you're not, uh, I'm guilty. Uh, but immediately after Jesus tells Peter, you know, you're going to do this terrible thing and you're going to do it three times. That means almost like it was premeditated and not just weakness, but premeditation. You're going to do this three times. But you know what? Don't let your heart be troubled. And why? He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And I'm reading from the King James Version because I know that scholarly, it's not the, the most grammatically correct translation, but I think it grabs the heart of what Jesus was trying to say. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. No, come on, come on. Give me a break. Mansions. My Lord is building mansions for me. I don't know. You may get a, ca a corn cabin in the corner glory land, but I got a mansion waiting for me up there. He's building a mansion for us. If it were not true, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare it for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go... You know, and the way you know. Now, there was a guy among them that kind of like some of us, Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And I just live my life and trust in this, what Jesus says in that sixth verse. Not, there's a whole bunch of ways. But what does he say? And I see K mouthing it. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you ain't going to get to God without me. Now, that's the David Householder translation. You're not getting there without me. You've got the only way you're going to ever get to God and get to heaven is through me. Let's pray. Father, your word is holy. Your word is righteous. Your word is eternal. Your word is truth and so necessary to our life. We pray now that the feeble words that will be spoken concerning your word would be made adequate through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that our inadequate ears would be made sustainable and equal by the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust in you. We need you. Everything else is just feeble human effort. We pray the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, our lives, our souls, and our minds to make us into the folks that you would have us to be. The gospel. 
Uh, as the pastor told us a few weeks ago when he preached, uh, the writers of the New Testament, when they began to talk about the teachings and life and person of Jesus Christ, they set upon a Greek word that meant literally the good news about the king. And that's all that it means. Now, we use a lot of times the gospel as a noun, but actually it's just an adjective. And it has no meaning in and of itself unless we say the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ who loved us and came and lived for us and died for us, was resurrected and is coming back one day for us. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's three folks I'd like to reach today. One, and I can tell you, yeah, I don't know who it is, and probably you don't either, but statistically it's impossible for somebody here to not be a Christian, to be a, everybody to be a Christian. Somebody, there's somebody here that doesn't know the Lord, statistically. This message is for you. This message is for the Christian that maybe right now life has just kicked you in the teeth. You ever been there? You ever been there where life just smacks you in the face and knocks you down and you're struggling and you're having a hard time? Uh, I venture to say we've all been there and some of you are there now. Then there are those and probably most of us that everything is going good. The Lord is blessing you, your life, your work, your family, your home and everything. And the message of the gospel is for you also Keep it up. Hang in there. Because I don't want to be the first one to tell you, but one day you'll get kicked in the teeth also and struggle. The Bible in the Old Testament tells us about the gospel. I always consider the book of Isaiah the book of the gospel in the Old Testament. You see, it was prophesied that Jesus would come. Isaiah 59 tells us that God looked for somebody to bring salvation to this world, but he couldn't find anybody. So by his own arm, by his own might, by his own power, being in the person of the Son of Jesus Christ, he brought us salvation. Isaiah 53 tells us that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we stick Esteemed him smitten, stricken of God, and afflicted. We were bruised by, wounded for, he was wounded for our iniquities, bruised for our pains, and by his stripes we are healed. And then the Bible tells us in that last sixth verse there, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now that scripture there, six. And then when you get to Isaiah 59 and 16, and I, the English gives me chills when I read it about how that God has provided salvation for us. But let me tell you, when I had time and was studied it in the Hebrew, the Hebrew takes it. And, and I'm not going to break down the grammar of the Hebrew for you, because every time I do, my wife says, people don't care about that. They don't want to hear that. But let me tell you, if in English, 
The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is alive and burning in our hearts and in our lives when we need it, read it. In the Hebrew, it screams out. He is come. He's going to save you. He is going to heal you. He is going to be with you. He is everything you need. My son, Jesus Christ, is coming to save everybody. For eternity and forever is my son, Jesus Christ. He's going to become an intercessor. And I followed that all the way through the Hebrew up into the Greek when they translated it into the Septuagint. And then from the Septuagint into the Aramaic and the Aramaic into the English. And it is so powerful that he loved us so much. He came and lived and died. Now, the past part of the gospel is Jesus' birth. We just spent... What is it? How many weeks are in the uh, Advent? Four or four? Yeah, four Sundays. We've been celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ and his birth, his incarnation. Jesus became a person and a human. And his incarnation does not mean only that he is with us but that he is in us, in the person, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He, when he came, did so many miracles, and that's a whole other sermon, the miracles of Jesus. He did miracles that defied nature. He did miracles that were healing. Then he did, he taught. And Jesus is teaching, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mountain, is the teaching that Jesus wants us to live by. But one day, Jesus was walking along, and somebody asked him, Lord, uh, what is the uh, most important scripture? And in uh, Matthew 22, 37, and 38, Jesus answered. And this was his answer. Not mine. This is what Jesus said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And I'm okay with that. And I have no problem doing that. Well, a little bit. But that second part. And you shall love Harold Meckle just like you love me. Oh, Lord, Harold, you're all right. But, you know, sometimes you can aggravate me and pluck my last nerve. But he doesn't do like I think he should do. Now the rest of you are off the hook. Especially my wife. She always does the right thing. Uh, I I did all right with that, didn't I? Loving your neighbor as yourself, that is the essence of Jesus' teachings. And then he taught about his return. He resurrected. He went off to heaven. He says, but I'm coming back. And he said it right here in 14, 1 through 6 in plain English. I'm coming back. I can tell you, I'm not a, what do they call those people that talk about the future and all of that? 
I'm not one of those, but I have done enough study on that that I know this. The next main event on God's calendar is what? His return. He's coming back one day to get us and bring into him. Now, that's all okay that he did that. But what are the results? What are the consequences of that? Well, the Bible tells us two things, mainly the consequences of the gospel. One is the new birth, being born again. Now, I kind of like what a lot of scholars say, that it's better translated born from above, but again, or from above, we're born of not a natural means. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the third chapter of John and tried to uh, butter him up. And he was trying to find out what's going on with you. What are you? Who, who are you? Who do you think you are? And I read John 3 and 3. And then I read John 3.16. John 3.3 3 said, But except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom, not see the kingdom of God, then alone enter it. Can't see the kingdom of God. Then in John 3.16, what does he say? Everybody, children can quote this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I read that all the time, and I kind of felt that that was an ecstatic, holy, inspired utterance from Jesus. Then one day I realized this. You know what came before the third chapter of John? Now, the third chapter tells us Nicodemus came to see Jesus. But you know what happened in the second chapter? Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem for the first time as the Messiah. Before that, he had not begun his earthly ministry. So he wasn't in a sense, the Messiah yet. So the first time he enters the Messiah, the temple as the Messiah, what does he see? He sees the religious leaders prostituting the method and means of worship in the temple. He also walked by 12 pillars, 12 of them. And they weighed 16 tons a piece scattered around the temple that said, Death, death to any Gentile who goes past this spot. So that's why Jesus said, unless you're changed, unless you're born again. That's why Jesus said, he quotes in Mark, he quotes Isaiah 56 and 7, my temple shall be a house of worship for only white middle class Americans. Right? No. You disagree with me, Kay? Definitely. Definitely. Well, you're probably right. Because the Bible says, my house shall be a place of worship for all people. Black, white, however many different colors and shades of skin there are. How many different personalities they are, my gospel is for everybody, for everybody. Then he came that we would have life. You know, 
a Christian is not exempt, and I think we all can testify to this, is not exempt for hardships and trials. Christians get divorced. Christians go bankrupt. Christians get fired from a, ball, from a job. Christians have trouble on the job. Christians get cut off in traffic. Probably we get cut off more in traffic than the sinners because we're just going along minding our own business being safe. I don't know. But all that happens to Christians. But let me tell you, the life, and you know it. I, hey, I'm preaching to guys that could tell me about this. Life is full and complete and full of joy. Jesus says, I will be with you all the way, even to the very end. And not only to the very end, but I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can come and be with me. Life in Jesus Christ is one of joy, peace, and love. And he stresses his return to us. Now, the future gospel. The future, it's the rapture, he's coming back. But coming back for what? To take us where? Home. Home. You see, we're just not home yet. We are a spiritual being on a physical journey in a temporary set of circumstances, and a temporary empiricalism. That's all we are having. He's going to take us to heaven. And you know, uh, I could articulate and have in my mind how wonderful heaven will be. And I can tell you that there will be peace. He's going to wipe away all tears. There will be joy. It will be filled with love. You won't have to worry about the person next to you. Are they being nice to you just because they want something from you? Or do they really love you? There will be no, no sorrows, no, no pain. Just heaven, in my mind, I can conjure up something that is so fantastic that only an idiot would not want to go there. But you know what? You know what the Bible says about that? It ain't even entered into anybody's mind. No matter how smart we think that we are, no matter how much we think we know, the best we could ever conjure up about the joys and blessings of heaven is that small. That small. See that? That small compared. I can't reach out that far. Heaven is going to be something for us that will just be joy unspeakable and full of glory. I like the song that says that. Now, what is our part in all of this? This is kind of where the rubber meets the road. Jesus, when he left, what did he say in Matthew and other places? Go to the whole world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, 
there were five times, five times that God said, if I could find one person, my circumstances would change. Now, I'm amazed that God has circumstances. That's found in Isaiah 50. Go look it up. Isaiah 59, Isaiah 63, Jeremiah 5, and Ezekiel 22. If I could find just one person, my circumstances will change. Now, what kind of a person is God looking for? I got about a dozen people I could tell you. The Bible is full of them, but there's about a dozen people that I could tell you their lives, and this is the kind of person that God brings. And I'm going to do two of them. I'm kind of short on time, but I'm going to do two anyway. Charles Kalman, the founder of uh, missions in Korea. As a result of the obedience of Charles Kalman, there are over a million born-again Christians in the country of South Korea today. Charles Kalman was in Chicago in the early 20th, 19th century. Uh, no, 20th century, the 1900s, early 1900s. Uh, he would, worked on the telegraph operator. He got saved. He began winning the people around him. And he and his wife, Letty, and some of you have read Streams in the Desert by Letty Kalman, uh, we're driving by Moody Church, and there was a sign out there by A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Missionary Alliance Church, that said there was going to be a missionary conference. Charles said, well, let's attend that. They went and attended that, and when they did, Letty records that A.B. Simpson said, we're going to take up an offering. It's not like the usual, but we're going to pass a plate around, and there are going to be watches in that offering plate. If you have a gold watch, put that in the offering plate and take one of these others out. Now, it's not a gold watch, but it'll work. So when it came around, Charles reached, took a gold watch out of his pocket and put it in there, and Letty said, I gave that to you, but it was gone. Then A.B. Simpson said, I'm going to take up another offering. And this offering is, you know, we wear more jewelry than it's for good grooming. So we pass the offering plate around, and if you've got excessive jewelry, put it in the offering plate. We can take it and sell it and send a missionary around the world. So they sent it, and Charles did something I would never do, dear. <laughs> Reached over and took your engagement ring off and put it in the offering plate. He said, you gave that to me, but it was gone. Then he came around with another offering, and he said, now we're going to take one of money. And when it came by, Charles reached in his pocket and took out, in those days, you've got to remember in those days, most people got paid in cash, took out an envelope with two weeks of income in it, put it in the offering. She said, what are we going to live on? But it was gone. Then he said, I'm going to take up the real offering, the real offering. If you will give your life to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world, come down to this altar and give your life. Charles got up and went down, and Letty said, I knew Charles, and I knew if he went down there, he'd go with or without me. So I got up and went with him. And as a result, 
millions of people in the Orient came to the Lord. But I want to tell you about another guy that affects yours and my life every day. And his family reaches right to this church. His granddaughter is a member of this church. And we're proud to have her. Dr. David Duplissy. Now, let me tell you about Dr. David. He taught at the university where I attended. I never sat under him. I'm sorry to say that. But Dr. Duplissy could teach any place in the world he wanted to teach. But God called him not to teach in a university, but this. And this is how it touches you and me. And I get chills every time I think about it. He called David to spread the message of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, his work in our life, to guide and direct us and to give us strength and to give us power and to give us holiness. Now, if you're not a member of this church, haven't been around here, we're a holy church. We believe in living holy, righteous, but we also believe it ain't never going to happen in me. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he makes us holy. And that's the message David was taking to the whole world. Now, let me tell you about that. Uh, one of the things that, that I majored in and my professors were awestruck at the thousands and thousands of pages of church history that I read. And you know what I found out? That in the year 225 was the last year that we have any record of the power of the Holy Spirit being active and formed in a group of people. 225. All through history, the Holy Spirit was only mentioned in the abstract as the person, third person of the Trinity, and never in his power and his work that he does in our hearts and in our lives. But in 1865, a guy named Charles Parham who had some connection to the French church, began to preach about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then one of his converts, William Seymour, took the message. He took it to California, to Azusa Street, and the power of the Holy Spirit was spread there, mainly into rural America. But then it began to be spread to the whole church. And you know who did that? David Duplissy. He worked with the World Council of Churches, all those highfalutin people, all the churches. You see, back in the early days, and I can remember those times, and I'm not criticizing these people. Believe me, I'm not criticizing them. But there was nothing mentioned in their church, and, and I know what I'm talking about, and I'm not going to call any names, and you couldn't pry it out of me if you tried. But those churches never experienced or talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. But I can tell you today, as a result of the work that David Duplessis did, you can go to one of those churches and they will tell you, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to have power to be holy and power to live the life that Jesus Christ has called us to. Now, as the praise team comes... I'm going to open this altar up right here behind us. We've got an altar. Uh, you know, I, I used to think this, 
that if Jesus was here, what he would do is he would walk down here and he'd say, Jack, will you go? Will you go? John, will you go? But see, I've changed my mind. I don't think that he would do that if he was here because he's here right now doing that. He's speaking to somebody saying, will you go? He's also speaking to people that have gone, John, that have gone and are doing the work. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I just marvel at your energy. I used to have that energy when I was young. You know, will you go? If God is calling you, you don't have to sit there. You can come down to this altar or you can sit there. I, I remember 1980. Six, I went to yearly meeting, and the Lord called me into the ministry. And I struggled with that for a year before I went back in 1987 and said, Yes, Lord, I'll go, and I'll start a church for you. So it doesn't always happen instantaneously. But if you need or want to come down to this altar in prayer, pray. It's open right now as we sing the closing song. Jesus. 